Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. And there it goes. Wow, that was quick. I was going to say you started off quick today. I did, but I could tell you one thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. But the one thing that you can get is a hour-long show of Seth and Sean for much, much less than the new iPhone 10. No question about <laughs> it. You're not paying $1,000 to listen to us. Although, we'd happily take donations if you'd like to spring it to us on PayPal. But before we start going into our normal affair which is going through the NFL, understanding that the Giants stink for the first week, the Jets are worse, and that I need a lot of help in the next couple of months given my status on baseball, football, and basketball teams. Seth, something very much shocked me the other day when I learned about this, and I had absolutely no idea, and I'd like your take on it. Martina Hingis wins another Grand Slam. I didn't even know that she was still playing. She doesn't play singles anymore. She only plays doubles. Um, But she's been a top five, top three doubles player the last three or four years. She never came back to singles after her time off for whatever reason. Those were, whether it's injury or suspension or whatever, um, there's been disputed. It's been disputed. But, and I'm surprised of everything to talk about with the U S open, that's where you go with. But, um, yeah, she won, I believe she won the mixed doubles with Jamie Murray, who's Andy's brother, and she won regular doubles. I don't know her partner's name. I think she was Chinese. Um, I think it's like her 20, it's, it's like her 20th Grand Slam or something like that. She's had, she really 20, had a nice. 25th Grand Slam. Like, from what I recall, the only people that have won more than 20 Grand Slams, and look, you keep me in check on this, the only person I can remember would be Martina Navratilova. No, because you're only thinking singles. Um, Martina's well, one Well, with like, her, I'm thinking... Some ridiculous Well, some ridiculous Right, Martina, number. I'm actually thinking about doubles, too. I mean, Martina and, yeah, and Pam Shriver used to win, like, every year doubles, not even just singles. Yeah. I don't no, know I believe anybody the record, else that's won. I think a lot of people have. I think the record's actually somewhere like 80 by Billie Jean King or by Martina. I don't know which one um, for combined. Now, for straight singles, it's much lower. I know, I mean, it's in the men's, it's 19 with Federer. I, I think in the women's, it's in, it's in the low 20s with Serena, but I could be wrong, um, or Steffi Graf. But, yeah, but, but if you include doubles and mixed, yeah, Martina Hingis came back about three or four years ago and has made a very nice career just kind of not stressing herself out too much and just playing doubles and seemingly doing very well. Yeah. I mean, I was quite surprised. So the most singles is Serena at 23. I'm trying to see who's won the most overall. I may have to actually go through them. Uh, but the most singles is, is certainly 23. The most singles titles and finals, most singles titles, most titles across all disciplines. Let's see here. So in the men, it's Roy Emerson with 28. 
And then John Newcomb, and surprisingly, it's three Australians. Roy Emerson, John Newcomb, and Todd Woodbridge are one, two, and three. And then Bob Bryan is also tied for third. And then if you go to the women's, Margaret Court has 64. And then Martina okay. has 59. And then Billie Jean King and Serena Williams are tied with 39. Hingis is uh, a little bit further down with 25. And Steffi is Steffi and Venus are right below Martina Hingis. Okay, well, that makes sense. So, Again, Steffi not known for her doubles play, and Venus won a few with Serena, but it hasn't been it hasn't been a constant. But I knew there was some number, some obscene number in the fifty. And I thought it was higher than that. Then actually, that's in the sixty-four. But um, yeah, I mean that's going back a different era, and even you know even in regards to um, to Martina. You know, she's she's played as recently as in the late nineties. And maybe even in the early two thousands it does seem like a different world at this point. Absolutely. And yes, I went to there first in the US Open, but we talked last week very, very briefly, I believe it was in your last five minutes, that the men that the women who we thought oh, there's no women's interest this year because Serena's out and Maria Sharapova is coming back, but really not in it. She made a couple of uh, upsets. But well, she beat the, the number final two four was all. Yeah. yeah, the final four was all Americans. And we definitely didn't, it, at the beginning of the any Grand Slam this year, we definitely wouldn't have picked that. No, and the woman who won, Son Stevens, was ranked like 900 a few months ago coming off injury. And, you know, we had, I had asked Sean jokingly if he knew three women in the draw. Um, and he, he was kind of, I mean, half serious, half kidding. After Venus Williams and Sharapova, he couldn't come up with any. But uh, Coco Vandeway, who's Kiki, Kiki Vandeway's niece, played beautiful, played extremely well, beating the number one seed. Madison Keys, you know, hits the ball as hard as anyone, made the finals, and then just fell apart against Sylvan Stevens, who just demolished her. You know, it looks extraordinarily composed for someone playing in their first first Grand Slam final. Yeah, I mean, Sloan Stevens has won five WTA fi- final titles, one ITF. Her highest ranking was 11 before the U.S. Open. Well, right now her current ranking is 17. Her highest ranking in uh, her highest uh, – sorry – the furthest she's gotten in any of the others were Australia in 2013. She made it to the semis. Wimbledon, she made it to the corners in 2013. And then the French, she made it to the fourth round in four years. So, I mean, is women back in the U.S.? I mean, I, I really... It is amazing to have a force to have a, to have a, a force and without without Serena, um, who, of course, gave birth to a, ba- to a baby uh, last week. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I doubt it, unless you see some longevity with it. If it's a one and out, and, I mean, look, Madison Keys was ranked top 20 prior to this. Stone Stevens will be around number 20. Vandeweghe will be up pretty high as well. Um, but... I think they need, there needs to be a maintaining of – they need to maintain this level, not per se all the making Grand Slam semis. But if you see them, you know, doing one of them doing well with the French or winning 
you know, Indian Wells. It's, you know, t- constantly in the top ten. It'll be interesting. Sure. You know, well, then, the last time you look that, at the men. I'm sorry. The last time the women had four in the semifinals was 1985. In a grand slam. Five Americans, which was four Americans. Yep. Four Americans. Okay, I I can name probably three of them. Yeah. No. Let's no. see how and, good your memory that, is. Let Let's see how good your memory okay. is. Who were the four? Uh, Navratilova, Everett would be one and two, I would think. Maybe Rinaldi, and either Andrea Yeager or, or Pam Shriver. Something along those lines. I'm looking. Well, I'm looking it up right now. So continue on with what your your thought was, and I'll get well, I'll get it when I get it. I think, you know, in addition to you know, in comparison, the U.S. men uh, had a real chance. Sam Corey had a real chance to you know, make a run to, to a U.S. final, and unfortunately, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at, lost to Kevin Anderson in a really solid quarters match. Anderson would go to the finals and lose to pretty simply to Nadal. And when you when you when you started this year, you were not assuming that the two people who the two the assumption would be if two player if two players won titles, won won Grand Slams, it would be Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic, not Nadal and Federer with two each. You know, Djokovic is injured out for the season. Murray's been kind of in and out. Nadal looked brilliant um, after his first couple rounds, which are kind of sub, substandard. And Federer looked good until he played one Martin Del Porto and. You know, hopefully next year we'll get to see a long-awaited Nadal Federer match, whether it's in a semi or in a final. Um, but you know, props to a guy like Kevin Anderson, who's been like a, who's been a, you know a top 25 guy for 10 years, but never made a run. By the way, you have something really loud in the background. Yeah, I'm trying to get it off. Sorry about that. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, to make a run for the finals, you know, really pretty damn impressive. Um. So and we'll see it. We'll see how that, answer, how that plays out. The answers to the trivia okay. question. So in 1981 was the last time that the Americans made all four in the U.S. Open, and back then okay, it wait, was ever 85. You said no, no, no. Hold on. You said 85. I know. I know. I know. 81 was the 81. It was okay. okay. 81 was the U.S. Open. Then 85 was another Grand Slam. So. 81, you're right, was Tracy Austin, Navratilova, and Everett. Can you give me the fourth? Andrea Yeager? Barbara Potter. Wouldn't, okay. okay. Wouldn't have known. Now, in Wimbledon, 1985, I, give me your four. What did you say? It said Navratilova, Everett, probably Yeager, or Rinaldi, and, and either Yeager or Shriver. Okay, so you got three out of four. I don't yeah, remember Kathy Rinaldi at all, and she was in there. So Everett, Navratilova, Rinaldi, and Zena Garrison. Oh, wow. That was that long ago? Huh. Okay. <laughs> no, Dude, I remember Zena Garrison. we're old. Zena Garrison played Navratilova when Navratilova beat her, I think, for her ninth championship. I just thought it was later on. I didn't think it was in the 80s. Okay. We are we are old. Yes, we, we are. We are old. <laughs> Just very, very yes, old. Yes, we are. 
And okay. and speaking so, of old and tired and grumpy. Yeah. Your Mets stink, your Jets stink, your Knicks stink. You okay, man? Well, let's see here. This is the first football Sunday in the first week of the season that I did not watch in probably 30 years. It might be more, but certainly 30 years. On Saturday, Syracuse decided to lose to Middle Tennessee State. <laughs> whose defensive coordinator as well. whose defensive coordinator wait, we're not even done yet is Steve Schaefer now, for those that are unaware of who Schaefer you're fading out defensive coordinator of your Maryland Terrapins for about a, okay. two minutes Steve, Sha- Steve Schaefer, Scott Schaefer was the ex-defensive Scott Schaefer. Scott Schaefer was the ex-defensive coordinator for your Maryland Terrapins for all of 10 minutes. And yep. before that, he was the ex-head coach for the Syracuse Orange. So he is now the defensive coordinator for Middle Tennessee State, who we scheduled like three, four years ago. He comes into the Dome, and they beat us 30-23 to 23 in the Dome. Yay. Like, that just, that just started my weekend fantastically. Now, let's remember, I am a Mets fan, where since Noah Syndergaard in April got shut down, I haven't had a season. I'm a Jets fan, where once again, if I don't have to say it again, but I will, I did not watch football on Sunday at all. Not one game until Sunday night. And even then... I only watched the last half of the Giant game, which was just as depressing as watching any Jet game. My Knicks, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know where to start. Carmelo was named the 65th or 64th best player in the NBA today in the ESPN NBA ranks, Be right above Lonzo Ball. Eesh. I mean, come Come on. And then he goes and says, this is ridiculous. I should be better than that. No. The thing is, Carmelo, you should be better than that. You just aren't better than that. So, yeah, I mean, it, and, and it gets better. I mean, I'm trying to look who he was sandwiched between because here we go. So it was between Lonzo Ball and... Yep, Marcus Smart and Lonzo Ball. Well, Marcus Smart is earning about $8 million million a year. And Lonzo Ball is on a rookie contract of about four and a half. And we're paying Carmelo 25. Yeah. Then I have the Islanders who play in the worst. What? Go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 never mind. Keep going. Then I have the Islanders. Yeah, because I'm on a roll. Then I have the Islanders who play in the worst stadium in any sport with a captain that they would back up the Brinks truck for, and he hasn't signed an extension. And then my Syracuse Orange, who I normally – 
hey, basketball season's right around the corner. And yay, our top center decides on August 29th, I'm going to transfer to Seton Hall. Yeah, Jake, I'm with you, buddy. I don't <laughs> get it. So my question to you, Seth, how, how do you root? I mean, look, you've, you've been down this path. You had, you had the Yankees that stunk for a while. You really didn't have the Giants stinking all that much. You've had the Devils stink for a couple of years. And you were a Nets fan. I mean, of all things, you were a Nets fan. When do you just say, I can't do it anymore? Because I'm getting close. I'm really getting close here. Well, I guess I kind of look at it a little differently. That, yeah, the Nets have been pretty lousy, but I'm a basketball guy kind of first and foremost, so I didn't live with it. And they did go to two finals and were very entertaining for a decent period of time. The Giants have only made the playoffs twice, three times in the last 10 years, but two of them, they won the Super Bowl. And I was alive for three other ones where they went, and twice where other ones where they went, they won. Um, my expectations on you know, the Devils. Yeah, they've stunk the last five years, but they were one of the three best franchises in the league for the ten years before that. And the Yankees are, well, the Yankees. And you just kind of sit back and laugh because know inevitably that they'll come back somewhere along those lines. The problem that you got, that you have, is first of all, you're never supposed to be this down on Syracuse. You know, especially after like a fluke, not a fluke, but a, a, a shocking Final Four two years ago. The reason you're so disappointed with Cuse is because everyone else is miserable. And, of course, losing the middle of Tennessee State is pretty sad. But um, I, I look at this, and, you know, I listen, and I laugh. But it's just, it's, you know, maybe I know. that's why, you know, you tune out certain sports to a little, to a degree. The problem you have is you don't have much upside. The Mets, I don't know what to, I don't know how to read the Mets. I just don't. You know, you guys, the Jets are a bleeping disaster. Um, you know, the Jets are probably the worst team in the – could be the worst team in football. The Knicks are, could be the worst run team in basketball. You, you know, it's not hard to be a Nets fan right now, even though they stink. They play really hard. It looks like they have a good infrastructure in place, and there's some upside potential, you know, Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but you can see some hope. And the problem is when you're watching, looking for hope for 10 years or as long as you've been looking – exactly, Jake. As long as you've been looking for hope with your teams, it gets tiring. I've always had one team that was always relatively good, so I've been able to deal with it. You, you've always had Syracuse as a fallback, and you don't have it right now because you have really no idea what to expect from them. That's the problem. I wish that was the only problem. But, yes, that is what a problem. I don't well, know. So if you'd like to call in and, and basically rain up more on my parade, please do so at 760-283-0846. 760-283-0846. When is it time to root against the team? Look, when you have a draft pick at stake, you can root against the team, right? I said this to the person – so I, I – I escaped to great adventure on Sunday. 
for the first time in 24 years, I went to Great Adventure in New Jersey, and I loved it. I rode every roller coaster. Now, granted, they weren't 900 feet like the bungee jump the week before, but I'll take it. I rode every roller coaster. I went on every ride. I had a great time. And I'm checking my phone. First of all, they don't you allow you even with a phone on half these rides anymore. You have to put them in a locker, which is ridiculous. But let's assume I check my phone, and I keep going around, and the person I'm with is looking at me going, you're a really bad fan. And I asked her, I said, why am I a bad fan? She goes, you want your team to lose. And I said, yes, because I want them to lose, we know they're going to win. Because they would do anything to screw with me this year. That's just what they do. But the fact is, the Jets did lose to the Buffalo Bills, which just makes it even worse. And I'm happy about it. Because the thing about the NFL is, and, and I think this is about most sports, but certainly about the NFL, mediocrity is awful. It's the worst thing that could happen is being mediocre. And I'd rather the Jets lose every single game than finish up at 7-9. and nine. Now, you don't want, let's you don't move want on to your team. You don't want them to go What's that? You don't want them to go and six. They won't. I, mean, I get I get the point. Like you want you want a top pick or a top two pick, and I understand that. You don't want them to go zero and sixteen, though. That's just that's a little bit above and beyond. I, I want the them to Seth. I'd like them to go zero and thirteen, and then have the possibility of winning one of the last three games, so they don't mess up the draft pick. That's what I'd really like. Like zero and thirteen. And then you can win a game or two because there's no way you're going to win more than three games. If you start winning now, they could go 5-11 and 11 and just screw it all up. So I was the really night, happy with the loss against Buffalo. The one, yeah. the, one saving, the one saving grace, if you do go 5-11 and 11 this year, is obviously you're going to go quarterback. I cannot imagine you'd go anywhere else. Because, as we've said, Richard Todd ain't walking through that door. Kenny O'Brien ain't walking through that door. There are so many quarterback prospects this year, whether it's, whether it's Rosen, whether it's Darnell, Darnell or Josh Allen or whoever, or Luke Paul or whoever. So even if you end up with the sixth pick or the seventh pick, you will be able to get a quarterback. Now, whether it's the, whether it's the one you want, I don't, you know, who knows. So you'll have a chance to get your quarterback in a high level one, but yeah, I get I get your point, but you never want to go zero and sixteen. You know, that, there's no. a difference between being horrendous and being infamous. Infamous, infamous. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the one guy I am rooting for the most of any player in the NFL this year is Deshaun Kaiser. I want Deshaun Kaiser to be the guy in Cleveland, because if he's the guy in Cleveland, they're not picking a quarterback in the first round. And I'm rooting so hard for him. But also, if they, I'll tell you, if they play the way they did on Sunday, they're not going to be the first pick. The Colts no, may be the that's, first but pick. Seth, but Seth, you're, miss, you're missing what I'm saying, though. The, the Browns have two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds. They can move up with whatever they want. They, yeah. As we decide when we deal with an auction draft, money is the key. They have the most capital in the draft. They can move up to whatever position they want. So 
if Kaiser is the guy, they don't need to move up. And they may not draft a quarterback. But if Kaiser's not the guy, they're going to be going to the same quarterback that the Jets are looking at this year. So I've become a big Deshaun Kaiser fan. And he looked pretty good on Sunday. Now, Kenny he Britt. Did. Well, Kenny Britt just looked not like so Kenny good. Britt. <laughs> not so good. But luckily for us, Antonio Brown looked like Antonio Brown. So, Yeah. Yeah, and lucky for us, David Johnson got hurt and not Le'Veon Bell. That is true. Wow. Um, although Le'Veon Bell is certainly not his best game. But no. And no. <laughs> you sound very melancholy. Uh, let me ask you something. I was talking actually with, with, with an ex, with someone who used to host the show with us or used to come on. And he was talking about how fast. Fantasy, the advantage, you know, we don't obviously we did our quick and dirty fantasy draft, you know, fantasy discussions a couple of weeks ago. But the whole premise of fantasy was that you that there were advantages, and and that there was a you know the, the, that you could really have an advantage with with a knowledge you know having a knowledge base was in, was advantageous. And now it just kind of seems that it's – I mean, and I forget if we had talked about this. I don't want to dwell on it too much. But we were talking about kind of the mediocrity of the players and that – mediocrity of the players, number one. And number two, that really there is no advantage anymore because you have everything from you – know, when you're doing a draft, you have the top players ranked. You may not agree with the rankings, but they're there. You have – Matthew Berry hosting a ESPN every every day at five o'clock during the fall, giving you people you should pick up. Where's your value? Has this kind of killed fantasy for you a little bit? Um, I don't know. I still enjoy it. I still feel that. I still feel that on a par with everybody else. So everybody's got the same information, right? Mm-hmm. And it's what you do with that information. So I equate it to the same way as like a stock market, right? Everybody has the same information because if you didn't, it would be insider trading. So everybody has the right. same information. It's what you do with that information as to whether you make money or not. So you and I know that, Jacques Rogers is going to start, excuse me, instead of Doug Martin for the first four weeks, right? When everybody, everybody knows that, right? Right. Everybody knows that. But not everybody knows that Doug Martin is the most, one of the more injury-prone backs in the NFL. So you and I know that because we've, we've had Doug Martin before. Or we've seen Doug Martin before. We also know that yeah, David Johnson gets hurt. Okay, well, yeah, Matthew Berry could go, okay, they're going to re-sign Chris Johnson, and he'll probably be the starter next this year. That's great. But you and I have watched, without David Johnson, Carson Palmer stinks and probably won't be able to do very much. And Larry Fitzgerald may get a couple of more, ball, more balls. There's only so much information that you can digest. It's what you do with that information that really makes it important. And I think in some ways, look, is it less interesting? Sure. I I will be the first one to tell you that. It's less interesting. 
because my knowledge base 20 years ago when I started playing fantasy football, people wouldn't make trades with me because I knew so much more than they did. And they thought, if, I, if Sean wants to make a trade, there's no way I'm coming out on this trade a lot. This, it, it's like you... It's like you and I when we when we first when I first got to New York and I remember we're walking down New York uh, a street in New York and I said you know what let's make a bet and your response was I'm never making a bet with you because <laughs> whatever bet I make with you you're going to win in some way shape or form because you don't make bets that you won't win. And it turned out to be a win-win bet. We both won. But the fact is, that's how fantasy football used to be. What did we bet? You and I. What's that? What did we bet? We bet that you would get married and I would get some tequila. (laughs) That is true. It was the who would get married first bet. You were correct. Right. It was the, the... for those that are listening, the bet was we were walking down we were walking down Amsterdam Avenue and I said, Seth, we need a bet. He goes, What kind of bet what kind of bet would we make? I said, No, 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 it's a win win bet. He goes, I don't make bets with you because I'm not good at making bets with you. I go, No, 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 win win bet. He goes, What's that? I go We're the we're two of the only single people that we know in New York. We're probably gonna be the best men in each other's wedding. So Whoever gets married first has to buy the other one $150 of their favorite liquor, and that way it's a win-win bet. Somebody gets married, somebody gets drunk. It's a win-win bet. And so we did, and I have this nice bottle of Don Julio still halfway full because Seth has yet to make his way back into New York at any point. And next time you come over, we'll we'll have some tequila. Anyway. But the fact is, yes, to answer your question, it does take away a little bit from the, from the excitement of the draft or the excitement of the league. But at the same time, does that take away the excitement of the stock market or the excitement of anything else? And I'm not sure that's true. It's what you do with, it's what you do with knowledge. It's not necessarily the knowledge that you get. I bet well, you this but, was Nabate that you were talking to, by the way. No. Wasn't actually. Wow. Ryan the rabbi. Ryan the rabbi. Okay. And I think some sports are a little bit different than others, right? So I think football is by far the most popular fantasy sport. Not even close, right? Yeah. So if you're talking baseball, I think there's more players – and you need to have a little bit more insight into maybe the minor leagues than you do in football. Because in the football, you have, 30, you have 32 running backs, then you have 32 backups, and we all know who those people are. Well, in baseball, right. you, have a whole minor, you have a whole minor league team. And if that top prospect or that second-tier prospect comes up, yeah, you may get the information then. But if you're before if, – if, if you know about it and the injury happens, you may be faster than, say, I don't know, Matthew Barry or Nate Carabell. You may be faster than them and pick up that guy. 
So I think in football, it's a, it's a, the information is more gluttonous. You don't see these fantasy, fantasy shows for baseball or basketball or hockey. They're just not there yet. But I, I totally get your point. Okay, so let's move on to we just spoke about a team that gets hurt, a team that has a player that gets hurt. And the number one, the, there were two major injuries in week one. One was obviously we just mentioned David Johnson, and the Cardinals did absolutely nothing when he was out. The other one is Eric Berry, who tore his Achilles tendon in the win over the Patriots last week. Now I'll tell you, that win, while a lovely win for the Kansas City Chiefs, reminded me very, very much, if you recall, when New England beat, lost to Lawyer Malloy and the Buffalo Bills 31 to nothing to start that season. I don't remember the actual year of the season, but they went on to win the Super Bowl that year too. This seemed very, oh, very, very similar. They just weren't ready. You know, I, I think the reason you hear so much panic about the Patriots is because we have a 24-hour sports news cycle, and they're – and it's always the main story when they lose, especially, you know, a team that you were hearing, reading stories that they would go 19 and 0. And I mean, not only did they lose, they got whipped. Um, Kareem Hunt, three, tu- you know, three touchdowns. Alex Smith threw for 320 and four touchdowns. I mean, they just, they were, Kansas City was brilliant. Tom Brady was not Tom Brady. Yeah, but at the end of the day, does it matter? Not particularly. No team is going to compete with them for the division. So they have four months to get everything together. And they are who they are until they're not. And they are still the defending champions. They are still the best team of of this millennium. And, you know, it gives credibility, you know, even with Eric Berry hurt. You know, you were, I think I was higher in Kansas City this year than you are. Um, I don't think you even have to make the play. You don't know. They're a good team. I did not. not. They're not a flashy team. They're not a, you know, they're not a star-driven team. And as you said, their biggest star is now out in Eric Berry. But they're a team that that seems to always win these close games. And that's why it was interesting to see not only they win, but how they won. We'll see how it it impacts going forward, because I really don't know. Yeah. But for Kansas City, but for New England, it really has no impact. Yeah, I had the Chiefs in the wild card facing off against uh, facing off against Oakland and losing in in the wild card game to Oakland. So I think it impacts a little bit more. And I know you tell you're telling me that this means that the Patriots have a little bit more time in order to figure it out. Not, and I agree with that. But this is a much different Patriot team than we've seen in the past. Right, so yes, Gillisey definitely picked up that slack. But as it sits today, Tom Brady is the lowest rated. Now, granted, it's only one week, but he is the lowest rated passer in the NFL. I don't remember the last he's, time he was the lowest rated passer in the NFL. That can't be possible. There's no way he's lower than Andy Dalton. He is. Percentage. Percentage of passes completed, he is the lowest-rated percentage passer. Yep. 
Okay. Lower than Regardless. Means, abs- means absolutely nothing to me at this point. And, you know, I'm surprised that you would bring up one, after one game that this would even be a stat that you'd bring up. I mean, it's one I game. I bring it up. Okay, so, so why do I bring it up? Because the offense is different, okay? You lose a Julian Edelman, and you're, you, you saw that the offensive line was not what the offensive line has been. Look, I'm not saying that they're not going to make the playoffs. I, I've said that before. I'll, I'll say that again. The division is for crap. But are they a 14-2? and two or th- Is this a chink in the armor? Or is this just a bump in the road? And I know you're saying it's probably just a bump in the road. I get it. I get it after one week. But I'm not so sure about that. Let's flip it over. Let's flip it to your Giants. Are your Giants a bump in the road? Or are they a big chick in the armor? A little bit of a different situation. The Giants have, you know, they... The Giants have had the offensive line issue for two years. And the expectation going in was that the players that they had since Jerry Reese didn't bring in anyone other than DJ Fluker. The expectation was that Bobby Hart is better, better Eric Flowers is better. Um, are, we not on, are we not online right now? No, we should be online. We're online. We're good to go. Okay, that was weird. It's a time until episode 45 minutes. That was strange. Okay. Um, their offensive line was brutal. I don't know if Eli Manning has much left. I don't know. I don't know if Paul Perkins can be a bona fide number one because there was no time. They made that defense look like the 75 Steelers, that offensive line. And Sean Lee is a really nice linebacker, but that offensive line was brutal. And that performance was brutal. And yes, Beckham wasn't there. But if Beckham is not there, he brought in Brandon Marshall for a reason. Deion Sanders is not playing corner for Dallas right now. There's no reason he should have one catch and three targets in this game. So the Giants have a play Monday night at home against Detroit. I'm willing to write one off because I thought as soon as I knew Elliott was back, I had a feeling he would lose. I just didn't like the way that they lost. So let's see what they look like next week, and then I'll I'll be more concerned. Well, are you picking them for a win next week? Haven't decided yet. I haven't done my pick them yet. <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about the spread. Do you think that they're Do you think that they are going to win? win the game? Yeah, I do. Um, okay. I I. I think Detroit, you know, Detroit's going to throw a lot, which doesn't, which doesn't phase the Giants per se, considering their corners. Although Apple had a tough game, and they have a great, obviously, defensive line. Their defense is Detroit's defense is nothing really to speak of. So if Beckham is back, you know, and unfortunately, I'm, a lot of this, and this is and the probably who, person who probably made out the best on Monday night or on Sunday night was Beck, was uh, Odell Beckham, in case he wasn't going to make enough money off of this contract. He sure as heck, this certainly didn't hurt his case for le- with leverage. No, not at all. So what team were you impressed by the most? And, look, I've seen some of the replays. I, Like I said, I did not watch much, but I did watch some 22-minute recaps on, on on demand. 
Uh, I've read a whole lot of stories about what happened on Sunday. The Rams looked like they could be a team. I'm not sure one week does anything. And we've said that before. One week does not make a season. The team has gone one in 15, and I believe it was the Panthers, where they won the first game of the year and then did not win the rest of the year. And um, so that has definitely happened before. Were you impressed by any one team specifically in week one? I thought the Vikings looked really good. You know, we all hear that Bradford's the dink and dunker and he's a game manager. I thought I thought Steelen and Diggs was fantastic. I thought Dalvin Cook was great. And you you know you have their that defense going in. Now look, playing New Orleans is not exa- on the road is not exactly a defensive juggernaut. But it is a it's an impressive it was I thought that was impressive. I thought Philly was impressive on the road over Washington. Um the Ram yeah, the Rams looked great, but Indianapolis Indianapolis looked absolutely brutal. Um you kinda wonder, you know, it kinda brings up the Kaepernick question. Uh you know, because with Tolzine is not a starter. Jacoby Bissett doesn't know the offense and we don't know when Andrew Luck is coming back or if he even comes back this year. So I mean so I'm not really willing to give too much to the Raider, to the Rams at this point. Although props to Sean McVay because when you win your first game by 37 points, yeah, it's a pretty high bar to start off with. Um, but those would be Minnesota and Philly. I think are the two teams I was impressed with. I also liked Green Bay's defense a lot when they went over Seattle. So why did you all of a sudden go to Colin Kaepernick? Because Colin Kaepernick, so so they acquired Jacoby Brissett. And you just said it will take a while for him to get used to the offense. Do you really think it's more likely for Yeah, do you really think it's more likely for Kaepernick to get a job in season rather than in the off season? Oh, I don't think I, I think, no, I don't think Kaepernick I think, gets I don't think Kaepernick gets a job this year. I don't think there's any chance of him getting a job this year. I think that ended with the with the first whistle in week one. No, I think you're right. But I think, you know, I wonder what the Colts are looking I mean, again, talk about a team that's contingent on one player. As much as we say this with regards to the Giants and Beckham, in the, in the, Indianapolis, without luck, is for all intents and purposes, I mean, they're, a, they're an expansion team. Okay. Well, let's talk about this for a second, because I think this is kind of important. How many teams could survive a loss of their starting quarterback for an extended period of time? Probably very few. Three? Three? Four? We saw New England, right? New England with Matt Castle when they went to the playoffs with Castle. Or um, even Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Right. Since he probably could with McCarron. Um, But, again, I don't know what your threshold is. However, let's say the Giants lost Eli Manning. Now, I'm not under the impression that they would suddenly be a playoff team with Davis Webb or with Geno Smith, although I think you may hang yourself if Geno Smith led the Giants to the playoffs. I think that may be more than your heart could handle. But they wouldn't wouldn't (sighs) fall into the two and four. Breathe. 
they wouldn't fall into the team 14 threshold. Meaning they would, you know, with that defense, they'd still be competitive in certain games. They'd win a few. Indianapolis, can you name one above average player other than T.Y. Hilton on Indianapolis right now? Mm. Maybe Vontae Davis. No. But he's, he's injured. So, I mean, you no. look at a team that a couple of years ago went to, the, went to the conference championship, and right now they have almost as little talent as the Jets outside of forgetting the quarterback position. It's relatively comparable. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think you're right in that, but I, I guess that's my point, though. Why do you think that – let's look at – it doesn't matter what kind of talent you have, say, at a wide receiver if you don't have a quarterback to throw it to, Right. I mean, can mm-hmm. we make that claim? So, sure. Is it is it really a concept of all right? So, Luck makes everybody else better. I get that. Without Eli, let's say Geno Smith's the quarterback, that team goes down. I mean, further than they are today. Now, granted, they do have a oh. defense. I get that, but that offense would be. Uh, I see. Would most likely, <laughs> would most likely, their offense would most likely be problematic. And as I said, they would not be they would not be a playoff contender without Eli. And not that I think Eli is that great at this point in his career. And you know me, I never thought Eli was that good. But there's a difference between being competitive and not competitive. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I, the capability I, to be to be competitive without Andrew Luck. They just don't. That, all right, so let's hear. So, Garoppolo, yes. Matt Moore, yes. Paxton Lynch, probably. Can the Redskins Osweiler, win with Colt it's McCoy? It's, not, it's Osweiler. It's not Lynch. Oh, Brooke, right. Could the Redskins win yeah, with Colt McCoy? Yep. Because depends of other parts of the, define, of the Depends what you define right, winning. Deshaun Watson with Texans, yeah. McCardle well, with, he the, start, McCarran he start, with the – He's starting now. Okay, but then Tom Savage with the Texans. Yeah, um, probably. AJ AJ McCarron with the Bengals. Probably. Maybe. Treblinski with the Bears. We don't know. We have no idea. Well, you know that the Bears stink. Although they played I mean, well. They played well on, on Sunday, and if Jordan Howard. Could have caught could have caught the ball in the last fifteen seconds. They would have beaten the, the defending NFC title, NFC champions. Their defense isn't bad. Their problem is they have no wideouts. They have none. Yeah. Whites out for the season again. Meredith's out for the season. You got nothing. Doesn't that help us with uh, Kendall Wright? <laughs> Hopefully, except he had like three catches for forty yards. But yeah, we'll, yeah. See, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I guess you're right that you look at the team and with Scott Tolson as the quarterback, that they just don't have any other talent around him. So it doesn't matter who you put back there. With every other team, you could make the case, except for the Jets, every other team. Well, okay, 
or the 49ers, right? C.J. Berthard or, yeah, yeah. or C.J. Berthard. And we've all seen Ryan Mallett with the Ravens, so maybe the Ravens go in there too. But I, I get your point that there, that there are teams that could survive a quarterback and not be putrid, rather just be bad. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's a better thing because I mean, look, when when da- when Tony Romo when Tony Romo went down and Dallas fell apart under Brandon Wheaton and Kellen Moore. They ended up with a four pick. Sean, can, I can't hear you in the back. You got a lot of background noise. And I'm not saying anything. No, I'm saying there's a lot of background noise. Um, when Kellen Moore, you know, they went three and thirteen. They got the fourth pick. They suddenly have Ezekiel Elliott. And yeah, they ended up our quarterback going down. When you have a team that's very good, but probably not a championship contender anyway. Right, fair enough. Okay, is the background bad back now or gone now? Yeah, it's better. Better. Now. Yeah, it's gone now. Okay, I switched off the headset. Okay, so all right, so we had what what teams that impressed you? We had what players impressed you? Like new players, the old players, and new faces. <laughs> With Adrian Peterson, look, last night I think that's what you're going to get out of that team. You have a lot of you have three three running backs with Kennard, Ingram, and Peterson, and Sean Payton's never been one that just relies on one cowbell back. Do you foresee that being what you get out of Adrian Peterson the rest of the year? Now, granted, they did kind of screw it up in the first half, and they probably should have been a whole lot closer than they were, having to kick a couple of field goals. But it looked like Peterson was just angry at Payton for not running the ball more. That's what he does. This is the offense. I don't understand where the where the disconnect is. I thought it was silly as well. Um, Peterson, you know, look, Peterson gets cut. He has a choice of several teams. And he goes to a team that has a running back that I believe they had already had the draft already. So they already drafted Alvin Kamara, who's going to be the kind of the third down, you know, kind of the third down back. So I'm not sure what the expect. You know, Mark Ingram is well, not Adrian Peterson. Is he? You know, is a good player. So I don't know what he's complaining about either. You know, this is. You know, he should have known going in. There's no, in my mind. Now this is you're going to a team that throws the ball with one of the most prolific quarterbacks of all time. You have you know a pretty good number one in Michael Thomas. You know, and you have no defense. So you're going to be behind a lot. So for the love of God, what possesses you to think that, you know, they're going to suddenly become, you know, a running team. You know, I understand if that was the reason he didn't go to the Giants, I get it. Because the Giants don't run the ball very much. But I don't think they're as stuck on their philosophy as the Saints are. The Giants just don't run very much because they have, their running backs haven't proven to be able to, whether it was Rashard Jennings or, or or Perkins or Darkwater or whoever. So I don't know. I, I don't know what his expectation was, but this certainly wasn't that far from mine. Okay, so going into last week, your biggest one of your biggest quirks was that the Falcons were not going to be able to 
play adequate offense with the new offensive coordinator in Steve Sarkeesian. Matt Ryan throws for 321 yards. Now, granted, the running game never got going. Freeman only with 37 yards, had 12 carries. Coleman, eight, eight carries for 16 yards. But definitely the passing game got going. Austin Hooper has two catches for 128 yards, including an 88-yard touchdown. Are your fears a little bit uh, on the wayside due to this performance, or you still got them? I mean, they did have to score 10 in the second half, second, uh, fourth quarter. Well, I don't think it's fear. I mean, I think it's in, it's in relationship to what in relation to what they had last year. So I don't think it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, Austin Hooper, I mean, my God, my grandmother could have run for 88 yards on that touchdown on that play. Um, it's too early to tell. It's week one. If I against a decent team, you know, a decent defense, but certainly nothing spectacular. Um, it's not a, it's too early to know. You know, let's see what happens when they play, when they play Carolina, you know, in, in division. I don't know when they play or when they, when they, you know, or when they play a little bit of a better team, let's see how it plays out. Well, I think they have Green Bay. They have Green Bay on Sunday night this week. So if you're going to look no, for that's a be- that's, for that's a better team. <laughs> that's a better team. Yeah. So you know we that that would probably I think in Atlanta because I think it's the premier. It's not premier. It's the it's the new it's the, it's the start of the new stadium. I mean that's a that to me is a better feel is a better or that makes more sense to me. So, but okay. you know, to have a feel. But again, even so, it's still even if they they're terrible and think the joint out, it's two weeks in. It's always dangerous. You know, it's something that I've noticed over the years. Is it's always dangerous to make assumptions too early in a season. And people okay, well, over, let, you know react and overreact to these kind of things. Well, we talked about this. I think it was. Now, f- four years ago, when the Giants started at, I believe it was 0-6, and, and they came back and had a pretty good season. When is the time that you say you have to worry? Is it four games in? Is it three games in? Is it six games it's in? Or, it, to me, it's three or four. I mean, that's kind of when I start to get, you know, a team can survive 0-2. A team does not survive 0-3 quite as well. And if you go 0-3, there needs to be at least an increase. In the, you know, you just need to put on a better performance. Um, so I'm not going to, you know, just like, you know, just like fan, you know, one of my fantasy teams got blown out. I played against Kareem Hunt. Do I stress over it? No, it's a week. I got time. You know, if I'm 0-3 in two weeks, then I got to worry. But it's, it's too early to be concerned. The weather is too nice out. And so I'll, I'll enjoy it, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll worry about the giants if they look bad on Sunday night or Monday night, excuse me. And then they, they, cause they have a tough first four or five games. So if they start off one and four, then I'm concerned, but it's at 0 and one. It's just too early. As bad as their offensive line did look and they looked awful. Okay. We, we got five more minutes. You got something to say or you want me to go first? You can go first. Well done, 
Look, we talked about J.J. Watt, what, what his contributions have been, and it's over $20 million to, the, to uh, help those people in Houston. To all the major league sports, look, I know that sports teams make a lot of money. I understand that we, the hardworking people, are the ones that actually give them that money. But good job. Good job by each of these sports teams in providing funds to both Irma victims and, and Houston victims. Good job. And, and, and second thing before I go, congratulations to Beth Moens. And we talked about this when she got the job, that she was going to be the first woman doing play-by-play in, on an NFL broadcast on TV. And last night, look, I couldn't stand listening to, to Ryan, to Rex Ryan at all. But I did enjoy listening to Beth Mullins, and she is incredibly intelligent and did a great job on the second half of the broadcast um, at the, on the 10 o'clock uh, Chargers and Broncos game. So well done by Beth Mullins. But You're up. The, bigger que- the bigger question is, do you want to hear Sergio dip again? I'd rather hear Sergio dip than hearing Rex Ryan. <laughs> yeah, JJ uh, Watt surpassing thirty million in uh, in donations, um, which you know there's really no words for. Um, congratulations! Uh, I, congratulations to the Cleveland Indians who have won was it nineteen in a row now? I think they're and they're winning. They're going yeah, they're nineteen in a row. I'm trying to remember when was the last time this happened. I really have no idea. I'm looking okay, it up the last quickly. Time, hold on. Hold on. The last time it happened was the Oakland A's. In, in 2002. Uh, in the Moneyball year. year, they won 20 in a row. Yep. And then they, they then it's the 1935 Cubs and then the 1916 Giants. You know, I, I look at this Cleveland team, and I'm not the baseball guy that you are, but obviously I watched them last year. Uh, to perform brilliantly in the um, in the in, in the World Series, and you know they've kind of been sleepwalking through this season. But man, what a time for them to wake up, and what a time for the Dodgers to kind of take a real header, for lack of a better term. Lost what ten in a row, eleven in a row, and they still have a huge lead in the division. But the team, which everyone was saying was a walkthrough, except for us, we both had Washington. Now they're not looking. They're not looking too good right now, and you know it may just be when you're winning by 20 games. It just you just may kind of, you know, kind of yawn and just kind of put it to the side. But sometimes it's very difficult to come back from that kind of that kind of uh, you know that kind of that, that kind of loss. It just takes a toll. That kind of streak takes a toll. Um, so next week, I guess same bad time, same bad channel. Absolutely. So for Seth Caymans, this is Sean Balmer. Seth and Sean Sports Radio on Blog Talk Radio and BackSportsPage.com. We'll see you guys all next week. Have a great one, everybody. Good night, everybody.